We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Uh, hello once again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Packaday Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. This is episode 754. As we're going to be taking a look at the Packers special teams and coaching staff later on in this episode, my name is Mike Webb, alongside me, Gage Bridgeford, breaking things down. But it's a big day in Packer Nation. A couple big things. One, the Packers were on the field for the first time in training camp. We'll be breaking that down a little bit and. We'll, we'll be breaking down with some notes from our very own Andy Herman and also the Athletics' Matt Schneidman for what they saw out at Lambeau Field and at, and at Clark Kinkle Field. And also, Kenny Clark has got his new contract, and it is quite the contract indeed as well. And, it's, and Russ Ball may have worked his magic again, will we shall see. But before we jump into that, Gage, how is Indiana treating you? Uh, Indiana's treated me well. It's not been too hot as of late. Uh, we've kind of cooled off, so that's, hopefully that summer like super heat is gone, and we'll start getting into a little bit of cooler weather than we uh, generally get here in the fall. Well, absolutely. And, and we're, we're here in Wisconsin. It's it's all right. It's it's passable, and it's not too bad. And also, I just got the update as well that we were talking about before we started recording as the Packers did also make some releases as well. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But let's start with the Kenny Clark contract here on the Packaday Podcast. It, it broke really early this morning. I think Schefter had it first, followed by Rappaport and Pelissaro. It is a four-year extension for $70 million, $25 million signing bonus. $37 million of it will be paid over the first two years. It is, Kenny Clark is now the highest-paid nose tackle in league history. He's heading into the final year of his contract, his rookie contract as well. He is the fourth-highest-paid interior defensive lineman in terms of average annual value at $17.5 million. Made the Pro Bowl last year. He's now the second-highest-paid Packer behind Aaron Rodgers. And you got to think he's worth every penny. He's still so young, and he's only getting better. And you, you got to think that the Packers have done a great job locking up one of their core pieces for the next four-plus years. I've been, over the last week or so, the big thing on Packers Twitter has been, you can only keep two of these three guys, and it's been Kenny, uh, Debach, and Aaron Jones. And I've seen mixed reviews. I've seen people say Clark and Jones, Jones and Bakhtiari, but I the entire time I'm like, Clark's got to be the one. If, the, if, two, if you only keep one, he's got to be the one you keep. 
He's super young. He's been super valuable, plays a huge role on this team. Um, and running backs a little more replaceable. You don't want to pay running backs. And then you got uh, left tackles, which Bakhtiari has been great, arguably the best left tackle in football, but he's older. So Clark was the one you had to keep. Uh, it was great to see him get that deal. Um, I saw the video of him doing his uh, post-practice kind of media interview, and he just had a big grin on his face the entire time. And it was good to see uh, he's re- he was rewarded uh, appropriately. Um, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised with the amount of money that was on that deal. Uh, obviously, we've seen other defensive tackles in recent years get uh, more money than he did, but uh, obviously, as a pure nose tackle, he broke he set his own market and uh, very deserving, very deserving. Absolutely, and it, it sounds like he got a. From what I read, he got a text and call from his mom and his agent saying that it was done. He signed it this morning. Mike Patton broke the news to the team right before practice, and it sounds like they just mobbed him, and they went crazy. And now we got to think toward the future as well. Like, you talked about Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones. Kevin King's up for a new contract as well. Corey Lindsley's his contract is up. So you got to think the writing's now kind of on the wall for him. But when you look at these deals – also with a chance to maybe get out of Aaron Rodgers deal in after another year another year or two I want to see how Russ Ball manages this because he's been one of the greatest cap guys in the league but now he's really got to work some extra magic to try and keep this the core pieces for this team in place uh, for one, he already got a win with Kenny Clark's deal. Per, per Spotrack, his, his average annual salary is projected to be like 18-plus, and he got him in at 17-5. So, so that's a win there. Um, the cap is a myth unless you are mismanaged as poorly as the Eagles did, and they're like $150 million in the hole or whatever it is. So he, he is, for my entire life, he's managed the cap better than just about anybody else in the NFL. Uh, I'm sure he'll figure out something. Um, a big key is going to be hitting on draft picks, like these draft picks that are coming through. A.J. Dillon has to hit. Like, I think that him coming in was kind of the writing on the wall for Aaron Jones, unfortunately. I love Aaron Jones. I would love to keep him around, but I just think he's going to cost too much money, and they're not going to pay him after they just drafted A.J. Dillon. Um, Jordan Love's going to have to be a hit. Uh, it's, that's what it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to, is hitting on these draft picks while you have veterans that are costing a lot of money. Well, it's not even those. I think I also go back to the offensive line, and you got to think, because you talk about Corey Lindsay and Bakhtiari, if someone like Hanson and Runyon can come in and get some playing time right away, they can hit, that makes things easier with a guy like Lindsay. Uh, you got to think also maybe writing could be on the wall if there's no dead cap after this year for a guy like Dean Lowry. So there's a lot to think about. But either way, it's a great deal with Kenny Clark. Big 97's staying in Green Bay for the long term, getting his second contract. And you will, you'll hear more about him tomorrow as well as the next group of, of, of Packaday contributors take care of the defensive line. But with that being said, let's jump into Packers practice. It, it, it happened today at Clark Hinkle Field for the first time. Again, no fans in attendance, which makes you sad that you couldn't see the bikes getting ridden. But we got some good notes, and again, we're using the athletics match Scheiman and our very own Andy Herman. Looking at Scheiman, it said Tim Boyle took the second line reps at quarterback, and apparently, he, apparently, everyone he had a really, really good day. A theme with Reggie Bagleton, and some like MVS actually played pretty well as well. So, from what you've read, because you said you were keeping track as much as you could throughout the day. What have you heard about uh, from the offense, from what you've been able to find? Uh, Reggie was the guy that I heard a lot about today. Um, I've seen clips of him catching passes from Rodgers, from Boyle. I've heard I've heard his name a number of times today. Um, I've seen uh, on a negative side on Josh Jackson has had his – he's gotten beat a couple of times today by Alan Lazar. He's gotten beat by MBS earlier in the day. So that's not necessarily great. I don't know. I didn't see the play, obviously, of how he got beat. But um, the main talking point that I've seen literally all over Packers Twitter has been um, A.J. Dillon's legs. I don't know about you, but I've seen them everywhere. Um, The guy's got literal, like, just truck. Like, he is a Mack truck on his lower half. So um, he's a big guy. Yeah, and kind of going off of that, here's a quote from Matt LeFleur after practice. It says, A.J. Dillon, he's got some massive legs. We have not seen a running back built like that, not in my career that I've been around. Now, remember, 
Matt LaFleur is the OC for Derrick Henry. Yeah. So if A.J. Dillon's got a bigger lower body than Derrick Henry, that's fairly terrifying. That's saying something. That's 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 saying something right and, there. And there is a picture going out. Going out. You can find it on Matt Scheinman's Twitter of A.J. Dillon wearing basically shorty shorts, and he looks like an absolute tank. So the, the, it, there's stuff to be excited about for some of these rookies. Jordan Love had, sounds like he had a decent day. He, like he was thinking of a few things a little bit too much, but he had a couple nice passes. He was able to hit hit some other people. Like He was able to hit, I think, Begleton a few times. Kumaro, he was able to hit. Uh, he was back. He seems to have not been missing a beat, so he looks pretty solid as well. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers in his yearly facial hair update. According to Matt Schneidman, he is now looking like Hal from Happy Gilmore. So we can have a nice glass of shut the heck up. Yeah. Uh, other quotes from practice, or other takeaways, I should say. Lane Taylor got the first crack at right guard today. Billy Turner was the first crack at right tackle. They then moved Taylor into guard and brought in Rick Wagner at right tackle. Rashawn Gary seems to be a little bit leaner. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown was running well. Re- Reggie Bagleton looked like an interesting slot option. And Tim Boyle looks to be locking himself into QB two. So there, so and Aaron Rodgers quote as well, saying that today was sharp and the energy was really good, according to how he felt. And also, they did get a chance to talk to Christian Kirksey, and Kirksey said that he feels at home. He says it feels like when he was in college at Iowa, and he feels like he's at home. So that's a, those are good words to hear from a lot of the players around. And again, I'll go back to you. What are some of your takeaways that you've heard from practice? Um, yeah, I heard a lot of the a lot of the same things you did. Uh, one interesting thing I'm reading here on uh, Schneidman's Twitter is uh, Shannon Sullivan talked about that he watched every snap of Tremont Williams this offseason um, as he tries to become the nickel corner this year, and he uh, still talks to Tremont today. So that's a good thing to see. Uh, even though Tremont's not on the team, he's his name's going to still be around all the time. And I wouldn't be surprised if they bring him back as like a defensive backs coach at some point, if he's interested in doing that consummate professional veteran uh, leader in that defensive back room that's surrounded by young guys. Uh, I saw Jair was the, uh, like the quote that I saw from, from Rob Domofsky this morning was that Jair thinks he might be the best corner in the NFL. And then they kind of talked about it, like how, where he ranks among the other young corners um, let's see, I'm trying to think of, like I said, I was working today, so I'm just trying to go through what I, what I saw, um, who was it? There was, it's interesting to see that Boyle is the clear number two, um, it shows me that they're gonna carry three quarterbacks all year long when you get other teams who carry, only carry two just kind of because they have to. So it's so it'll be interesting to see how Green Bay manages that roster spot, considering they had to devote devote one to just like one extra one to an extra quarterback. Yeah, I, I do think that keeping three is smart because obviously we know Rogers getting older. He's got the con- the contract didn't get out of it in a couple of years, and it, it, you you probably want to keep Boyle around long term at the very least as a backup. He he's probably a valuable backup. I mean, look what Doug, look at the career Doug Peterson had. And without ever, without really getting outside of one spot with the Eagles, a chance to start. So if you, a valuable backup is 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 worth its weight in gold. And if Boyle can provide that for a long time, absolutely you got to keep around. But you also got to realize Jordan Love is most likely the future at the position. And you know, it looks like he, again he had his moments today, but again he, with a shortened camp, no preseason, it's, it's going to be tough for a rookie quarterback to step in, especially one who's as as raw as, as love after having to play for Gary Anderson for a year, that is going to take some time, especially with the with the circumstances. So I yeah, I think he's he wasn't going to be ready this year anyway, but it was only compounded by the fact that everything got delayed and there's no preseason and all the stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, oh, one thing that I forgot to kind of touch on that you had mentioned was Seeing Lane Taylor get the first crack at right guard with Billy Turner at right tackle, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. The whole point of you bringing in Rick Wagner was for him to start a right tackle. I understand that it only was like one snap, but first crack needs to be on this new free agent that we just signed after letting Brian Bulaga, who, when healthy, which I understand that has been a big issue, when healthy, though, he is one of the best right tackles in football. And Rick Wagner was brought in as his replacement, so I don't want to see Lane Taylor out there 
I want to see Billy Turner and Rick Wagner. That's the group I want to see from on week one. Absolutely. And then other things to to bring out as well. These, this is now from Andy Herman's Twitter feed. Of course, Andy, the godfather of the Pack of Day podcast. Tyler Irvin was working with the wide receivers, lined up a receiver almost exclusively. Uh, then they had, obviously, Lane Taylor and, and Rick Wagner, that, oh, that situation at guard and tackle. He talked a lot about Reggie Bagleton as well. And Christian Kirksey was, seemed to have taken quickly control of the huddle and seemed to have already established himself as one of the leaders of that defense, getting things set up. And Zanaria Smith did a little bit more roaming, some more zone drops. It sounded like, again, it's first day of practice. Let's see what these guys can do after not being on the field since February. So there, there's a lot of interesting things to go around, and, of course, everyone's favorite thing to watch. I know in fans there was the one-on-one pass rush drills. The only one I got noticed of was they put Spider Garvin, the seventh-round pick, his first rep was against David Bakhtiari, which really isn't fair. I, I love it. I love it because if Bakhtiari gets beat, that just looks really good for Garvin. And if he doesn't get beat, it's a seventh-round rookie. I there's that is a no lose that is a no lose situation for Garvin. Well, yeah, I remember last year Fackrell beat him beyond belief, and it was the talk of camp for a couple weeks. And we saw that Fackrell ended up having a couple really nice years in Green Bay before he took his way over to New Jersey or New York, however you want to describe it. Well, that being said, I think it's time for us to jump back into our main topic for today, which is the special special teams. Well, I guess before that, we'll jump into the releases that were announced by the team officially. They have released tight end, former defensive lineman, and former draft pick James Looney, wide receiver Daryl Stewart, and quarterback Mark Antoine DeCroix, who was the Canadian uh, player who came in with crazy athleticism, but was already, I think, a little bit older. And was with again, with a shortened camp, he really was never going to have much of a chance over guys like Josh Jackson, Kadar Holman, Chandon Sullivan. So Packers cutting the roster back down. They reinstated Mason Crosby off the COVID list. Uh, sounds like Hunter Bradley is still on it, I think. But he should be coming off, it sounds like, pretty soon, along with Trayvon Hester and, and the others. But really no surprises. I know Looney moving to tight end was really uh, – they're trying to save his, his career in Green Bay, but it just didn't work out. He couldn't quite get to the field, get to the active roster. So really no, no really surprises among that, I don't think. Yeah, no, uh, none of those names really, like, Looney was the only name that I really remembered, um, so seeing seeing him go, like, yeah, it sucks uh, to miss on a former draft pick, but you're not going to hit, you're not going to hit bad thousand, so. And again, he, and he was a pretty late draft pick, he was, a, he was a late day three, so it wasn't a massive yeah. thing. Well, that being said, let's jump into the special teams, we'll also talk about some of the coaching staff. So let's start with the special teams. We'll, we'll go kicker, punter, kick returner. Uh, Bradley's going to be back as a long snapper. There's, that's going to happen. Uh, he, he seems to have really come into his own. He got better and better as last year went on. And so I think Bradley's going to be set as a long snapper for a long time. They don't cost much. And if they can have the, another Brett Good and Hunter Bradley, I'm all for it. That, that position is very undervalued by a lot of people. Yeah, it's really undervalued, and if you can get a guy that's good at his job, and you're not, and he doesn't take up a ton of cap, which is important for this Packers roster. And yeah, I think I saw a note from someone today that, uh, there, like like you, I think John Legu or something like that was the one working with uh, the special teams today. But it's most likely that Bradley will be taking that spot back once he returns. Yeah, it's Bradley's spot to lose. Uh, at kicker, Mason Crosby, he was fifth last year um, in field goal percentage, had a nine seventeen. So 91.7%, he went 22 of 24, which was the least amount of anyone in the top 10 as far as amount of field goals. Josh Lambeau led it with a 971. But for, for Mason, it was, it was a, a good, solid year. He had the, the game winners against Detroit. Uh, that, that Monday night game was so much fun to watch him kick the winner and then jump into the crowd. That was really, really cool. And then he got rewarded with the extension. And as long as he plays out that extension, he will he will – End of that contract with the most games played of any Green Bay Packer player ever. He's on pace to set that record if he plays his entire contract. And he's a steady, calming influence in the locker room. And you got to think, a guy like Crosby, I remember last year we were ready, ready to move on from him. I remember the year he struggled, people were ready to move on. 
but uh, like a long snapper, a good, solid, re- uh, respectable kicker is massive. And a guy like Mason Crosby's done it for a long enough time that, much like a back quarterback, he is worth his weight in gold. Yeah, having Crosby out there gives me a ton of confidence. Um, I love seeing uh, I love seeing him go on the field versus when I watch other teams. Like last year, so I live in Indiana. I had to struggle through the Adam Vinatieri fiasco last year. That it was ter- it was terrible to watch, but you never had that with Crosby. Every time, other than that one bad year that he had, I every time he goes on the field, I'm like, he's making this. As long as it's inside 55 yards, I have confidence that he's not going to through. Even at he's 36 this year, I still have confidence in him hitting 55-yard field goals with with no problem. So, uh, yeah, I don't see any reason to let him go. He's a little pricey, sure, but you know what? If you got a good kicker, there's nothing wrong with that because you can have a game that ends 3-0 and you won because your kicker's good and the other guy missed his shots. So, um, so I love seeing Crosby back out on the field. Um, I know Jay Sternberger also is getting ready. To should be, I think he might be off the COVID list, but he didn't practice today. So it's good to have Crosby back on the field. Uh, number two in your program's number one in your heart, man. Well, and that's really the thing about the how the NFL is that, that the COVID list has not really grown the last week. It's been really cutting down, and it, it seems like the testing is really working, and players are uh, players are being accountable to themselves and taking care of, of each other, which is always really, really good to see. And to see the accountability that we're not seeing in baseball is really good to see with the NFL, with, with so many more players to deal with. And so that's always a very positive thing. And hopefully, like I said, we have Crosby back. Hopefully getting Sternberger, Bradley, Hester back soon as well. But, but then now we got to move on to punter. And we talk, we time to talk about J.K. Scott. Uh, Scott had an all-right year net of just under 40. Uh, he had tw- 29 of his 77 in the 20. 26 of them got returned. He started out really, really good. But again, like as, he was like as the weather went, so did his consistency. And a guy like him who is as big as he is, he needs to fa- make sure his mechanics are consistent. And, and Sean Menegas talked about that at length as well. But again, with Scott, sky's the limit. Packers haven't had a good punter outside a couple years of Mass State in a long, long time, probably over 20 years. J.K. Scott, one thing that's kind of confusing for him, so the dude is, it's not like he's a, like, so he went to Alabama, obviously. Um, but the confusing thing is he's not, like, a Southern guy. He's from Denver. Like, he went to Mullen High School in Denver, Colorado. So the guy's used to kicking in the cold. Like, he's it, that's not a problem. It shouldn't be an issue for him. So I don't know... Why, like, I understand cold weather punting is just, it's different. I wouldn't want to kick up probably ice rock in the middle of December in Lambeau, but then again, I'm not a, pa- a professional punter for a football team, so I don't have to. But uh, I love the talent that he has. Like, his size is just so unique. It's 6'6". The guy's just a freakishly tall human being, especially for a punter when you see, like, kickers and punters often on the smaller side. So, he has the like the ability to be better, and we saw it in like that game against Chicago to start the year. I wrote a piece after the game about studs and duds, and in a game that didn't have a lot of studs, he was one of them. The guy was a monster. He had, when he's on in a game, he can truly be a field flipper and just neutralize an opponent's return game. And it, you just need to see more consistency out of him. Like, I don't know if it's a technique thing or what it is, but he, he has that ability to be an, a great punter and to give Green Bay a true weapon on fourth down. It's just a matter of him performing and doing that. Absolutely, and I, I wonder if for Scott, if he, cha- if he has to change his routine once it gets a little bit colder, whether it's some extra stretching to make sure those legs are loose, because I feel like that could be part of it where, again, a guy who's 6'6", he's got really long legs and long arms, if it would take a little bit extra time to make sure that those are loose and warm, maybe that slows down the time it takes for him to drop the ball. Like, there's things like that to think about, and that's going to be between him, Sean Menenga. Uh, Crosby could probably help with that as well because Mason's done it for long enough. But th- there's all those things that could maybe help J.K. Scott. But like you said, the talent's there. The team's not going to give up on him. And you got to think he can, again, get better in year three. Now... 
kick returns and punt returns. That was an adventure last year. They were historically bad for about the first half of the season, and by historically bad, they were on pace to have the worst season in NFL history among punt returns. And then Tyler Irvin came in, and Irvin Irvin in one game ended that, and he became a weapon out there. 24.3 yards per kick return, 7.2 per punt return. Darius Shepard couldn't get it done. Chance Selma couldn't get it done. Jamal Williams got a chance. He didn't. He didn't do anything. Is is Irvin almost locked into the team because of what he can do as a returner? I want to say yes, but I can't. Just based on the past fifteen years as a Packer fan, just because of what you like, just because you can do something as a returner doesn't guarantee you a roster spot. Like uh, unless your team is severely top heavy at a position and you're just never flat out going to play and they're only going to carry. They're only going to carry six. They're only going to carry five receivers, and you're a receiver. But you're a you're Devin Hester, you're Cordero Patterson, you're Josh Grids in the return game. You're never guaranteed a spot on this team because they're always so deep at receiver. They always keep six, seven guys. Like we saw Trevor Davis stick around for a few years, and Trevor Davis was a good weapon in the return game. He just couldn't catch on as a receiver, and so obviously he was shipped out. I think that Urban should be locked into the roster, and if I was the one calling the shots, then he would be. But then this is where you factor in the quarterback aspect. So Jordan Love is probably going to be your QB3 entering the year. You're keeping three quarterbacks. That's automatically one less roster spot than you can carry somewhere else, whether that's offensive line, defensive line, corner, receiver, wherever. So if so if he's so if you want to keep him on the roster, someone else somewhere 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 else is going to get shortchanged and I don't know who that's going to be because if he can't bring enough on the actual offensive side of the ball, they'll just suffer through another year of below-average kick and punt returners and just hope that their offense can make up for it. Well, so and that leads to the, then the question was, if Irvin doesn't make the squad, who then becomes the primary returner? Do you see someone like maybe uh, EQ or Chandon Sullivan or... Jair, who is who has returned punts in the past, like who do you see could be that other that other returner? I don't know who the returner would be, but I don't want Jair to do it. Um, I don't want to risk him getting hurt on a punt return or a kick return. I understand that they've eliminated a lot of the danger in kick returning, but it's still like if a guy's running full speed in one direction and full speed the other direction, that's brick wall meeting an immovable object real real fast, and I don't really feel like watching that happen. Um, I don't know. I you just you find one of your athletes and say, "Hey, go be an athlete for me," like four or five times a game on punt, like punt and punt returning is such a weird thing. Like you always see guys muff the ball. It's, it doesn't matter if a guy's been doing it for ten years; he's still going to muff one. Uh, if Chandon Sullivan, if that's how he sticks out there, then great, that's awesome. But just any like I would like I said, I would love for Urban to be the guy, and if he's not the guy, you just have to kind of go throughout the week, say, you know what, this guy's hot, this guy's hot, let's let them run, and just that'll have to do for a few weeks. Yeah, I guess so, and we'll see. And then and then before we go to the coaches, there's a few core special teamers that have been mentioned in the past, and obviously Hunter Bradley is one of them, but I, I know specifically last week, I think it was Matt LaFleur talked about who, who had stepped up as leaders, and one of them was Will Redmond. He said Will Redmond stepped up as a leader in the locker room. He seems to be now the new Jared Bush on special teams, who's going to be that go-to guy on um, all core four special teams units, kick kick off, kick return, punt, and punt return. Uh, him, Oren Burks, got a lot of special teams looks last year. And you got to think now maybe Curtis Bolton could get some of those looks when now that he's healthy. So so are there any other guys who you think are going to be key special teams guys going into this year? Uh, I mean, one of, the, one of these big wide receivers is going to be that guy, uh, whether it's MVS, EQ. I think whichever receiver is kind of lower on the depth chart is going to be the one that kind of has to do it. Uh, Kumaro, I feel like, always is a decent gunner despite, despite not being the biggest or fastest guy out there. I feel like he's just a really smart player, so he knows how to get down the field and beat the press. I think that the guys you mentioned are the key ones, but there's going to be one of these receivers is going to have to be the guy that can go out, be a gunner, go down and make that big. And maybe this is the Shannon Sullivan spot, or Kadar Hallman even. Just one of those guys that's not getting a ton of actual regular snaps on defense, and they get on the field on special teams and they go out and they make a play. Yeah, I know Josh Jackson did that as well a lot last year. After he got healthy, he, he embraced 
special teams. And I give him a lot of credit for that because he had his camp ruined by a foot injury. So seeing guys like that, him and Oren Burks, who are who are high draft picks, Oren Edmund was a high pick as well, just by a different team, embrace special teams was always encouraging for me to see guys who are willing to put in that work and do those little things. But now as we look toward the coaching staff... Oh, one quick mention, one quick yes. thing. Josiah DeGuara might be an interesting name to watch on special teams. Danny Vitale played over 50% of special team snaps last year, and I understand they're not a one-to-one replacement, but I have to think that those snaps are probably going to go to him. So if he can show out as kind of an athlete, big guy, and go make some plays there, that's a quick way to move your up the depth chart and start getting on the field more often. Special teams it gets overlooked a lot, but there's a lot of guys that can make a full career out of, hey, they were making splash plays on special teams, let's put them on the regular part of the field and see what they can do. So I think Dubois will be a guy to watch this year in that role. Well, I mean, yeah, I think people have been talking about Matthew Slater being potentially a Hall of Famer for his special teams work. But no, I agree with you. And Dubois got also first-team refs at tight end as well. Of course, Sternberger not practicing, but encouraging for Josiah Dubois to see the field already even on the first day of practice. But but looking at the coaching staff, not too much to turnover, really only a couple. Obviously, Matt LaFleur, second year's head coach. He's healthy. His, his Achilles is healed up. That's always promising. I think he's probably done playing a ton of basketball for a while, but he is definitely working with trainers, getting his, his strength back. He said his calves are not looking great, but he's getting better and better. Other guys, obviously, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, our offensive coordinator, working closely with Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur. Luke Getze, working closely with them as well. Justin Outen, at tight ends coach. Ben Sermons, at running backs coach, who I'm nervous about losing in a couple years. I think he's a future offensive coordinator. Uh, Adam Stenovich, offensive line coach. Jason Vrabel is the new wide receivers coach. He took over for, he's taken over for Alice Witted, who is now at the University of Wisconsin. That wide receivers coach, uh, Luke Butkus, Kevin Roger, Connor Lewis, and Ruvel Martin are uh, quality controls and assistant uh, to the assistants. Ruvel Martin, of course, the minority fellowship that's been created throughout the NFL. He was the first Packer hire for that. Of course, Ruvel Martin played for the team for a few years, played with Matt LaFleur in college, and having met him before, he's one of the nicest people in football. And it's really cool to see Ruvel Martin back in Green Bay. Yeah, uh, when I heard that name, and I, I just remember, I was like, man, that is a big big human because that was the what when he like when I would go through the depth chart when I was younger and especially wide receiver I was just like okay who's tall and I remembered he was extremely tall and just always taller than everybody else at the position and I was like that guy could be good just because he's tall that's all that he, even if he's got nothing else going for him he could he could be good because of that um I really like that they're bringing back the offensive like the majority of the offensive line the offensive room uh, Matt LaFleur, uh, hopefully him and Rodgers can really gel this year. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, I'm hoping that he can put uh, some more of his like personal stamps on the offense this year. Um, I don't, I don't want to take the ball out of Rodgers' hands because I'm pretty sure that's what everyone is convinced uh, Hackett and LaFleur want to do is they want to run the ball and just make it to where Rodgers doesn't get to make plays. But I don't think that's what they're trying to do at all. They're just trying to make his life easier. Luke Getty is a good name to keep around. If Rodgers wants to, if Rodgers enjoys working with somebody, it's always good to have that guy in the locker room. You never, you never want, you never want to piss off your quarterback, especially when your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. So the the rest of the the rest of the guys, they're they're going to gradually build names for themselves uh, as time goes on. I'm interested to see Stenovich this year. Uh, the offensive line has spurts where they can look elite, and then they have instances where guys can just get ran over. Like, Billy Turner had spurts last year where he was really good, and then he just had other games where he just couldn't stop, and he couldn't stop water if he tried. So, uh, that's that's probably my main guy to watch this year, him and then Jason Brable, but And just one of the other things, because I'm on the team website right now, and they have the pictures of all the coaches. Adam Stenovich looks like an offensive line coach, but then you have his assistant offensive line coach, Luke Butkus, who looks like a Butkus, just with a beard. And if you see that guy walking up on the sidelines, you are terrified. Dude, he he looks like an offensive line guy. Like, that's just – he looks like a trenches guy. Like, it didn't matter if he taught oh, a coach offensive or defensive line. He's just going to be that guy all day long. And I bet he can tell real good stories, though. I bet he's got really good stories about random stuff that has happened to him in his life. Well, absolutely. So then moving on to the defense, obviously Mike Pettin back as defensive coordinator. A lot of people were wondering if he was going to be kept around. He is. I think a big reason why he was kept around 
besides his natural talent as a coach, is the the assistants. Because I, I love the assistant coach group on the defensive side. Obviously, Jerry Montgomery, is, I, we, we talk about rising stars. I think Montgomery on the defensive line is the guy who is going to be in a lot of talks for defensive coordinator spots after the season. Uh, Jerry Montgomery's gotten a lot of high praise from guys like Mike Daniels in the past. Kenny Clark has talked a lot about how he's helped him. And I think he's a guy who who's going to be a huge name to keep an eye on in the future for coaching ranks. Uh, other guys, Kirk Olivadotti at inside linebacker, Mike Smith outside linebacker. Mike Smith also best known for his energy on the sidelines in the locker room and for the guy who was reported to be running down the halls yelling for joy when Rashawn Gary was drafted. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Downers is assistant DB coach, other assistants, Butch Berry, Wendell Davis, Christian Parker. But the big one that was brought in was Jerry Gray and the defensive backs. Uh, Gray spent the last few years with Minnesota, did a lot of work with Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, also Xavier Rose back when they were in their their highest forms. Uh, Gray, a veteran guy, a really good coach, and I was shocked that he was available. And the experience and know-how that he brings to this team, working again with Mike Patton, I think is going to be huge with some of these young uh, corners like Jerry Alexander, Kevin King, Shannon Sullivan. Gray is going to be absolutely invaluable as a coach. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see him work with this, this young corner group and this young defensive back group in general. Like, uh, other than Amos, all of these guys are still on their first contract. There, it's a bunch. It's a really young room, and there's a lot of talent there. Like Josh Jackson is a hit, had first round talent. He went in the second round, but he was the first round talent with his ball production length and size. Jair Alexander is quickly developed into one of the best corners in the NFL. He can stick with everybody. Kevin King, if he could stay healthy, the guy, I'm pretty sure he had, if not number one, he was number two last year in red zone like uh, rating, like among corners. It, it, when he's in the red zone, he just shuts everything down, and it's. And it's great to see that. And he, I, there was a quote that came out from him yesterday that said, it's okay if people want to say that Jair is number one. I don't – he's like, whatever. We're basically the same guy. We're on the field at the same time anyway. Um, the guy I'm interested to watch is Kirk Olivadotti. I think that Kirk, his ability to get the most out of Kirk as well as rapidly increase the development of Oren Burks, who through two years we haven't really seen a ton. We've only seen him as a special teams contributor. So – I'm hoping to see more out of him this year, and if he can bring that out of him, that's that's a really good developmental thing moving forward. And also, yeah, Jerry Montgomery is going to be a defensive coordinator in the next three years. That like the he is able to coach up everybody that he has playing on that defensive line so well, and it doesn't matter what you give him, he's getting good production out of it. Like Dean Lowry got a second contract, and he just. Dean Lowry's motor never shuts off. Kenny Clark just got paid highest nose tackle in history. Uh, I'm interested to see his work with Kingsley Kiki, who is an athletic, a super athletic guy and can probably become a big playmaker for this team. So um, I like the group that's assembled. I think Mike Pettin, this is his final year, unless he just turns this into like a number one contending unit. Um, and I think that, and I don't think that's, that he's a bad coach. I just think that LaFlora will probably want to bring in his own guy after giving him two years there. So, And also, Mike Smith's got a really easy job of getting to work with Zedarius and Preston Smith every day. Like, Rashawn Gary, he has to develop him, but getting to work with Z and Preston's probably pretty nice when you come into work on Monday morning. Well, so I think the three feet off each other, because obviously the energy that Smith brings, and it's, it's well-known seeing what he was like when they won the playoff game, when they won the division. Like, his, his just manic insanity, almost pro-wrestling type energy, was visible and pretty voluminous for people to hear and see after that. Uh, on special teams, Sean Menenga Maurice, is the coordinator, assistants Maurice Drayden and Raina Stewart. Big year for Menenga. Uh, Packers haven't had a good special teams coach in, ever. Uh, we all remember being Ron Zucked and Sean Slocumbed, and that is the reason why many people drink. Uh, so there's Hopefully Meninga can pick that up and become a, finally a competent coach that this special teams unit has needed for 20 years. But I, I thought there were promising starts last year. Uh, obviously, Mason Crosby's year was uh, was huge. Uh, the coverage units were very good last year. I think that's a good good view for Meninga. He just needs to get the return games going. But this, the special teams, if Meninga can be that coach, 
there's a good core of coaches here in Green Bay. Yeah, the the core that's laid out is really good on all in all three phases. Like we talked about, the offensive assistants, there's they're good at all at every level. The defensive assistants are. I honestly think the defensive assistants are better than the offensive assistants. That's just my personal opinion. The special teams group, Menenga has, like, the pieces are there for him to use. There's athletes all over the place. And if an athlete can't get on the field on offense or defense, he, he can get them on the field for special teams. Like you said, the coverage units last year were great. Uh, he, I don't know what drills he's using, but he their, their ability to get down the field on kickoff returns and punt returns is just, it's great to see because I don't, other than, like, other than the occasional broken play, I felt like we're stopping everybody. If they try and return it, you're not getting very far because our coverage guys were always down there. Uh, Crosby is a veteran kicker. is great. Uh, I want to see his development with J.K. Scott this year, like to develop his consistency and get him to truly start realizing a lot of his potential that he has. Um, and then, like you said, the return game is going to be important. But I think part of that return game is just, like if Urban's on the roster, then – then that's going to help tremendously. But if he's not, you you have to get more out of the players that you have. I understand that coaches can only work with what they've got, but they have to. Like just the, our return game has been anemic for such a long time that I want to see more there, and I think he can do it. He showed us last year the flashes. Oh, also, I would request one fake punt this year, just one. I don't think I've ever seen Green Bay do one in my lifetime, and I would just I just want to see one. Okay, like a like a fake punt pass or, like, have two returners go back, like the old Johnny Knox, Devin Hester, like one guy's, like, looking up like he's got it, but it's actually the guy on the other side of the field, something. Just, just because no one's going to see that coming out of Green Bay. So that's just that's just my personal, like, wish for the year. You don't want to see J.K. Staff sprinting down the field like a deer? I, I wouldn't mind, but I would just, I would rather see him just in the back, just lobbing it up to somebody. I, I don't care who, but just something, because that is my favorite play to watch is the like the fake punt is just the best play when it works. And I also had to sit through and watch the unfortunate degree bay getting scored on by like a Detroit like tight end or whatever it was on a fake field goal. So I just want to see one fake this year. I'm not asking a lot. Like can we bring Tom Crabtree out of retirement maybe? Do we gotta do that? Well I was gonna say for that situation to quote the great announcer Jim Ross, by God, that's Josiah DeGuar's music. <laughs> Nice. And then I guess lastly, well, very quickly, because last year health was so good, strength and conditioning. Uh, Chris Gizzy is the coordinator. He got, he switched spots with Mark Lovett, Lovett's now an assistant, then Thaddeus Jackson and Grant Thorne and the others. And, again, when you look at their pictures, they look guys who have lived their lives in the weight room. And this this team with the regiments they brought in was stretching and keeping track of, of heart monitors and things like that really jumped into the modern, I don't want to say modern era, but even beyond with the steps they took last year to keep their guys healthy. And health was so big last year, and I think it's going to have to happen again this year for them to continue where they left off, especially with all the circumstances, with less camp, less practice, no preseason. These guys' jobs are going to be extremely difficult in the early parts of the year. And so you got to give credit where credit is due to these guys, and I really like what I've seen from Chris Gizzy and from what I've heard from him as the main strength and conditioning coordinator. Uh, a lot of what I'm sure these guys are going to be preaching over the next month is just going to be hamstring exercises, calf exercises, just like soft tissue stuff, because you know in the first three weeks of the season, everybody's fantasy football roster is going to say question, like going to have a Q hamstring next to it on every single player, because... Everyone's going to be pulling them. They're not going to be stretched well. But, yeah, the the health that this team had last year was outstanding, and that's such a big deal when you get down into those December and January games. Like, the year Green Bay won the Super Bowl, they had, what was it, 15 players on injured reserve? Those are at least. It was, it was nuts. And last year they stayed extremely healthy, and this team has good depth at a lot of positions, and that depth – like it's not you never want to test it. You never want to be forced to throw in your backup offensive lineman because because three guys are hurt. But but it's nice to have good ones. But it's when you don't have to do that, you can start your same offensive line group for a hundred percent of the snaps throughout the year. It's that's a great thing to be able to do, and these guys are responsible for that. I love seeing like. Also, maybe it's just me. Does Grant Thorne have a little bit of a JJ Watt looking vibe to him, or is that just me? Am I just seeing that? 
No, I agree with you. He's got he's got the the hair partly JJ Watt. Okay, I thought yeah. Okay, anyway, but these guys are the difference between a team that is able to stay healthy all year long and win because of it, and the teams that get bit by the injury bug and then can never recover from it. I've seen Indy get wiped out year after year because they couldn't stay healthy on the offensive line, the defense, just the whole team was getting wiped out. And Green Bay last year, they stayed healthy all year long. They were consistently out there, and it's all because of these guys here. And they get overlooked a lot just because they're not – offensive, defensive, special teams coaches, but they matter a ton to this group. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, you talked about offensive line injuries. I remember two years ago when they started four guards in the center. and oh, they, that was and, brutal. And they won. Yeah, that was brutal, though. You don't want to see that. That's an example of it's nice to have good depth, but you don't want to have to use it. Hey, Lane Taylor was a solid left tackle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll go with. We'll go with that. Well, with that being said, we're gonna, we'll wrap this one up here on the Packaday Podcast. Again, first day of practice is, is complete and in the books. Football is on its way back, and everything is looking more and more promising every single day with what we're seeing as far as how testing has gone and how the NFL has. And the players themselves have done a good job of taking care of themselves and keeping each other accountable. Uh, Kenny Clark's got his big extension. We talked about the coaches, the special teams. So stay tuned as well tomorrow the team will be taking care of the defensive line. They'll talk a lot more about Kenny Clark and what that contract will mean for the future. But as I start to wrap things up, Gage, where can people find you and what are you working on? You can find me on Twitter at GBridgefordNFL. As always, um, I'm working on some stuff for the Dynasty Draft Room that we got draft content coming up uh, all the time. Uh, I have some Denver Stiffs articles coming out next week, Dynasty Nerds. I think I should have something out at the beginning of next week. And Roto Baller, I'm working on two different pieces for them. Um, that's what I got going on for me right now. Uh, quick shout out to the Seahawks for holding their team extremely accountable. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw the news of the guy who tried to sneak a female into the uh, team hotel, and he was promptly cut that day because he was breaking protocol. So, like you said, they're holding people accountable, and that's the definition of holding people accountable. This guy was trying to break onto the roster, and he blew his shot because he made a mistake like that. So that's that sends a message to everyone in the league. Hey, we're not messing around. We're taking this seriously. There's no, there's no everyone going out to the to the hotel bar or anything like that. We're going to show up. We're going to do our jobs. We're going to go home, and we're going to take it seriously all every step of the way. So that's all I got for me today. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike Wendland. Uh, I'm doing a lot more baseball and hockey stuff right now. Just keeping track. I'm doing a lot of research to write a, a book about baseball. Uh, but a, a quick update, kind of similar in your boat. Um, Andy Herman tweeted out a chart from the CDC yesterday, and I know a lot of other contributors joined me in this. Uh, if if anyone's struggling with anything, anyone wants to talk, my uh, DMs are going to be open always. So if you, if anyone ever wants to talk about anything, uh, just let me know. Uh, I know Andy said let him know as well and other people. So, again, find us, let us know, and we're always going to be open to talk. I know this has been a really tough few months for a lot of people uh, with with employment things and no sports definitely hasn't helped, but you're, you're stuck at home, stuff like that. So if you, anyone ever wants to talk, uh, get a hold of one of us on Twitter. Uh, we are we are always going to be open and willing to talk with you. And and whatever we can do to help, we will always be there as well. Also, find us uh, at Packaday Podcast on, online, wherever you can find podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, all this stuff like that. So for Gage Bridgeford, this is Mike Wendland saying so long for everyone. Stay safe. Always carry the G, look forward to football, and go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.